I was interested in Luke's description of uh, his abilities at golf. And it reminded me that um, when you set up for the golf swing, but what Luke was describing was <laughs> you take a run up <laughs> like Adam Sandler yes very good so for those with any golfing prowess you know exactly what I mean the difference between the and the Okay, just thought I'd add that. Would you turn in your scriptures, please, to John chapter 3. Going to read the first eight verses. A very, very familiar passage. A passage often misunderstood. So, let's see if today we can't cloudy up the waters a bit more. John chapter 3. This is the word of God. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, or teacher, we know you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Now this brief record of the conversation between the Lord Jesus and the Pharisee named Nicodemus remains today one of the great challenges to religion and faith. And unfortunately, for so many, they cannot see the difference between the two, between religion and faith. I want to tell you that there is a very very decided, clear difference between religion and faith. Many people are religious. When people hear that I'm a pastor of a church, they say, oh, well, I'm not religious. 
I had a chap last week say that. Oh, I'm not religious. I said, that's all right, neither am I. And he went, what? I said, there is a very distinct difference between being religious and being a person of faith. Being religious means that you adhere, and usually strictly, to a code of behaviours that you think are going to get you in a right relationship with God. And these codes of behaviours are often around rituals and traditions. In other words, you've got to bow the right way for the right length of time at the right time of day. You've got to pray X number of times during the day. Your prayers have to take this particular form and if you get it wrong, well, you've got to start all over again. You've got to give a certain amount of money, otherwise you won't go to heaven. It's all about ritual. It's all about traditions. Oh, and of course, ladies, I'm sorry, you all must wear a hat or cover your head with a scarf. When I was younger, my mother would always wear a scarf when going to church. But then she also wore a scarf when she went out shopping. Religion is the exercise of a man or a woman according to prescribed traditions and rituals in the hope that they will earn God's favour and go to heaven. That's religion. I am not religious because I know that God is so righteous and I am not. There is nothing that I could ever do that would please God or impress God. I am a sinner and in the sight of God, my sin is an abomination. I am a person of faith because I know that God entered into this world in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. God became flesh and he died on the cross bearing my sin. I cannot do anything to impress God I can only plead the sacrifice of my Lord Jesus who died for me. I am not righteous in my own self, but by the grace and love of God, I am covered by the righteousness of our Lord Jesus Christ. I am a person of faith, not religion. And if anyone disagrees with that interpretation, I'll talk to you afterwards. Not now. <laughs> but I hope that clarifies it for you. I hope that clarifies it. No religion can save you. No religion. Christianity does not save you. The Lord Jesus Christ saves. Catholicism does not save you. 
uh, don't tell the Pope. <laughs> Buddhism does not save you. Islam does not save you. Hinduism does not save you. Those are religions. They merely prescribe a way of behaviour. Getting back to Nicodemus and this encounter that he had with the Lord Jesus. Who was Nicodemus? Well, of first note, as a practising Jew, he was a man who methodically observed all the requirements of Old Testament law, including its rituals and festivals. And as a Pharisee, he was a theologian, a man of religious study. He was truly a religious man and probably a very good religious man. There are a lot of very good religious people. Make no mistake about that. But that doesn't mean to say that they've been saved by God. Nicodemus was a good, religious, practicing Jew. Therefore, he was also a highly educated and intellectual man. However, unlike the Sadducees, he honoured the teachings of all the prophets. In the Sanhedrin of the day, there were two main groups, the left and the right, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the legalists who observed the law, the first five books of, of uh, the Torah, and they observed the uh, history books, Kings, Chronicles, etc., and also the major prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel. The Pharisees were the other side. They observed everything that the Sadducees did, but they added to it all of the 12 minor prophets. They saw them also as bringing a word from God and they held to the resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees didn't, but the Pharisees did. And as such, Nicodemus looked to a time when God would vindicate Israel for all of its sufferings, both past and present. Nicodemus was a man who had watched and listened to the ministry and teachings of the Lord Jesus. And there was a hunger in his soul to know if God was revealing something new in this teacher from Galilee. And if so, what would be the consequences for the nation of Israel? That's a very important question. If this Jesus is from God, like the minor prophets, if his teachings were God's message for the generation of that time, Nicodemus wanted to know more. 
Today, throughout the world, there are many people like Nicodemus who have been generally accepting of what the world affords, but prepared to question. Because deep within, they have a sense that maybe God has something more to reveal to a hungry soul. And as the Lord Jesus taught on the mount in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see the righteousness of God. Nicodemus heard those words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see the righteousness of God. It would seem that Nicodemus was stirred within his spirit by the parables and teachings of the Lord Jesus, and he could not let it go. He wanted to know more. He wanted to understand. He had to find out for himself and not merely follow the line of the Jewish authorities in the Sanhedrin. All they wanted to do was silence this rabble-rouser. All they wanted to do was bring Jesus under control and under their authority. But Nicodemus had a mind, is God saying something here that the Sanhedrin's not hearing? And it would seem in this respect at least, Nicodemus himself was a bit of a rebel or dare I say, a free thinker. And as we read, one evening Nicodemus sought out the Lord to find out for himself who this Jesus really was and the true significance and the true importance of his teachings. Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus alone and in private. Some would argue in secret. So much is done during the dark hours of darkness. It would seem that Nicodemus wasn't yet prepared to let others see him have this private meeting with Jesus. It was for Nicodemus a very personal pilgrimage. His first words were these, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. What a bold statement. We know, we, so he's obviously not alone in his thinking. We know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Not the position of the Sanhedrin, is it? Because at one point they were claiming that he was doing thing by doing these miracles through Beelzebub, one of the demons. Of first importance, Nicodemus acknowledged that Jesus was a teacher, a rabbi, despite the fact that he was not a member of the official teachers' union, that is, trained as a Pharisee, or having spent years studying in the temple courts under some recognized teachers of the law. Also, in these words, we hear the heart of Nicodemus. 
we know that you are a teacher come from God. Nicodemus acknowledged that Jesus was a teacher from God. This was a bold, bold statement because the Sanhedrin was not convinced of this truth. Otherwise, they would have sought so hard, they would not have sought so hard to trick, to trap, and to kill the Lord Jesus. So Nicodemus is very much in the minority. The we tells us that he was not alone, but certainly in the minority. For Nicodemus to acknowledge the Lord Jesus was from God was his first step of true faith. He'd been a very religious man, but this is the first step of faith. It was a sign that his trust or his faith was not vested in the institution of the Sanhedrin, but in the unseen and seemingly unknowable God. For many Jews, God is largely unknowable apart from the law. To validate this faith declaration of Nicodemus, Nicodemus appealed to the signs and miracles of the Lord Jesus as a testament to the presence and power of God being revealed in the Lord. And in response to Nicodemus' declaration of faith, the Lord Jesus said these words in verse 3, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. What a truly amazing statement. Some would say illogical. It's the kind of statement that even today forms the basis of much theological research and debate. And yet the Lord Jesus expected he expected Nicodemus to understand his words. Or so it would seem. Nicodemus was confused as to what the Lord meant when he talked about being born again. In verse 4, he asked, How can a man be born when he is old? Tells us maybe that Nicodemus was not a young man himself. Did he understand that the Lord Jesus was speaking metaphorically? Did he understand that the Lord Jesus was talking about leaving behind a misguided understanding of God and life and making a new beginning with God that was truly life-transforming? Whatever Nicodemus understood and the degree to which he understood it, the Lord Jesus replied to him in a way that changed his life forever. Jesus said these words, Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. In a very clear declaration, 
the Lord Jesus told Nicodemus that all the religious study, all the rituals and all the sacrifices would not enable him to have a right relationship with God. His religiosity was not worth a cracker. To enter into the presence of God was dependent upon first having a vital and personal relationship with God. Religion is hoping for the best, that your rituals and your sacrifices and your traditions will get you over the line. And Jesus said, it's not going to help. All the religion in the world is not going to help. You must have a personal faith relationship with the Lord God himself. It's all a matter of faith and heart for God. A person must acknowledge by faith conviction that God is the author of creation and life itself that we are all dependent upon God for our continuing welfare and that at a time of God's choosing, we will one day stand before him to give answer as to how we've spent our life to be a blessing both to him and to our fellow mankind. It's all about faith. It's not about religion. As an expression of this new daily journey of a faith relationship with God, Jesus called Nicodemus to declare his allegiance to God through water, which is a symbolic act called baptism. When you are first born into this life, you are born through water. And so the symbolic act of baptism is a washing away of the old life with its sin and corruption and rising, coming out of the water to a new life with God. Jesus' reference to the Spirit was a declaration that whenever there is a new covenant agreement made with God, there is an acknowledgement of this new covenant by what we as people do and also by what God himself does. When we decide to follow God in a new and vital way, he gives to us of his Holy Spirit, enabling us to fulfill his mission for our lives. Brothers and sisters, Make no mistake, this is amazing stuff. This is stuff that you and I in our human strength and will cannot and never will be able to achieve. It is amazing because it is only something that God himself can achieve for you and me. And he will only do that if he has a relationship with us. 
When we decide to follow God, He gives to us of His Holy Spirit, enabling us to fulfill His mission for our lives. It's not our mission and us manipulating Him so that we achieve it. The life of being a Christian disciple of the Lord is not a matter of our intellectual prowess. It is not a matter of our theological capabilities and it is definitely not a matter of our ritual observances. Being a disciple of God is all about knowing Him through a vital prayer relationship and living as His Spirit leads and directs us day by day, moment by moment. As the Lord Jesus declared, many have tried to manage and control God by the establishment of elaborate ritual institutions or religious institutions and complex rituals. Many have tried it. This is of the flesh, declares the Lord Jesus. This is not of God. Because ultimately... Those who set up these religions only serve to manage and control their adherents. I remember many years ago in South America, an American uh, preacher, he was not a preacher of the gospel though, but he set up his own religion and he took thousands down into South America where he got them ultimately to all drink poison. Do you remember Jonestown? That was religion. It had nothing to do with a faith relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, make no mistake. Make no mistake. God is not in these man-made efforts and he will not be dictated by you or me. God is sovereign. It is not for us to demand him to do anything for us. It is for us to ask him, Lord, what would you have me do for you? It is not for us to be dictators. It is for us to be disciples and servants. God is of the Spirit and calls us to live in a relationship of righteousness with Him where His Spirit informs and enables our spirit. To make this transformation from fleshly religion to a Spirit-filled life is what it means to be born again. To put aside the old, the old life, whatever the religion was. For some people, money is their religion. For others, possessions is their religion. For some, it might be their car. That's usually a guy, though. Whatever the religion is, Jesus says that we are to put them aside 
that we are to be filled with his spirit. This is what it means to be born again. It's all about learning what it is to live our lives in a faith relationship with God as exemplified in the person of the Lord Jesus. Jesus set us the example. He is the perfect example. And we could follow no one better than him. Look at Jesus. Read the gospel records of his life, his teachings, his ministries. This is how he would have us live. And in verse 8, the Lord Jesus used an analogy of wind to help Nicodemus understand what he was saying. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. In these words, the Lord Jesus expressed the wonder, the beauty and the mystery of the Holy Spirit of God. As man cannot contain nor control the wind, so man cannot contain nor control the Spirit of God. And we should not even try. We do not turn on or turn off the work of the Spirit in our lives. To even try to do that would be a form of idolatry. True faith is the surrender of oneself to the mystery and wonder of God in allowing him to whisper his glories and mysteries to our hearts and minds, to be the author of our days such that we may be in the place of his choosing to minister as he chooses. True faith is a journey filled with meaning, purpose and challenge because we have left behind a life of aimless wanderings, of ritual, of tradition, of obligations, never knowing who we are, where we're going, or why we were born. Are you wandering aimlessly in your life? Is every day just a, a repeat of the day before? Do you know who you are? Do you know where you're going? And I'm not talking about tomorrow down at the supermarket. Do you know where you are going when this physical body cannot sustain you anymore? Do you know why you were born? Do you realize a lot of young people today in our primary and high schools have no idea why they were born? They can give you the biology, but they have no understanding of why they were born. And I find that incredibly sad. Our young people need to know they need to discover why they were born. And they will only do that 
when they start to hear about God. Brothers and sisters, this is why the Lord Jesus came among us. He came to show us the way to a new life in perfect union with God's Holy Spirit. And when we submit ourselves in the act of baptism as a confessing believer, we are born anew into a new and vital relationship with God. As a confessing believer, we are born into a new and vital relationship with God. Now, I'm sorry to say this for some who might hold certain ideas fairly precious. I was christened when I was around about six months old. It was an act of faith by my parents. I remember nothing of it. I certainly made no confession of faith of my own at the time. It was something that was merely done to me. And I honour the faith of my parents because the promises that they made to God at my christening they kept and they enabled me to grow in a home where God was honoured until I made my own confession of faith and then I was baptised what are the qualifications for such a step of faith well you don't need Australian citizenship. That's one thing. You don't need a trade or university qualification. You don't need to be eligible to vote or have a driver's licence. These are all of the flesh. The qualifications to be born again, to be a born-again disciple of God, is the desire and the willingness to be totally honest with God and yourself. Totally honest. To acknowledge that you are a sinner before God and in need of his saving mercy and grace. And make no mistake, this is a lifetime decision that by the grace of God, through the wind of his Holy Spirit, will gradually transform your thinking, your ideals, your priorities, your speech and your behaviours. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our lives. He transforms us from inside to out. You've got to be willing for that transformation. And that's the step of faith. After Nicodemus came to the Lord Jesus, was he a changed man? Yes. Absolutely. In John chapter 7, verses 50 and 51, we read how Nicodemus, though he was in the minority, he stood up and he boldly defended the Lord Jesus before the Sanhedrin. He was a, a changed man. 
And in John 19, verses 39 to 42, we read how Nicodemus was present with Joseph of Arimathea in preparing the body of Jesus for burial before the Passover. This was an act that religiously would have rendered him ritually unclean. Yes, following Nicodemus' conversation with the Lord Jesus, he was a changed man. And instead of being a man of religion, he became a man of faith in God. The big question is, what about you? Every one of us must decide for ourselves where we stand with God. And I know many of you older folk, you made that decision in past days. So in a sense, I'm talking more to the younger ones today. Those who are leading us in our worship service. Those who are part of our youth encounter group and part of our senior youth. You must decide for yourselves as to where you stand in your relationship with God. No one can do it for you. And it's not a matter of coming to church every Sunday. That's religion. It's not a matter of giving a tenth of your pocket money. That's religion. It's not a matter of reading your Bible, well, what, once a week? That's religion. As soon as you put, I must, I must, I must, that's religion. It's a matter of, I want to. I want to talk with God in prayer. I want to read my Bible and learn more of Jesus. I want to go to church on Sunday to worship God because it's the highlight of my week. Young ones, you cannot rely on the faith of your parents. You cannot rely on the faith of your teachers or your friends. You have to make your own decision. And if you have not yet had a conversation of the Lord Jesus, why not start today? And see what plans and purposes God has for your life. Because I promise you, you make a decision for Jesus today and you will never have a boring day in your life thereafter. How many of you have said these holidays, oh, I'm bored? <laughs> With Jesus, there is no moment of boredom anymore. I can assure you, you establish a relationship with him, you talk with him, you ask him into your life, you will never be disappointed. And as one who stands before you, who 45 years ago made that decision, I have never regretted it one moment, never. My walk with Jesus has been the most satisfying and the most fulfilling journey of my life. And Cheryl knows this, and Cheryl knows that to Jesus, Cheryl is second. Jesus is number one in my life. 
Cheryl is number two. She knows that. We settled that before we got married, didn't we? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So young people, what about you? Where do you stand with Jesus today? Or are you content with just religion? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the example of Nicodemus. Here was a man who was on a journey and Lord, you met him and you shook his world. And Lord Jesus, I pray that today as young people and middle-aged and old people come to get serious with you, Lord, that you would take hold of them, that you would shake their life and it would be a life that they would never, ever want to go, uh, go away from. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are transforming. Thank you, Lord God, that you take hold of us and through a step of faith, you bless and honour. You show your love, your mercy and your grace. Lord God, truly, you are awesome and wondrous and we thank you in the name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. We're going to sing. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing, What a Beautiful Name. The best. You are the word at the beginning. One with God Love was greater. What could say? 
Folks, it's been lovely to worship God together. We're going to finish our time of worship. We're going to invite everybody to stay for a, a meal. But it's going to be up the back here, so we need to clear away the back three rows at least, and possibly the fourth. So I'm going to ask uh, the five rows. We're going to need to clear, clear out the back five rows. I'm going to ask if some men could uh, help out by clearing that. Um, I understand there's going to be the need to set up some tables. So ladies, you might like to do that. Um, and also there's food to be brought out from the kitchen to be placed on the tables. Uh, some of you may like to go for a walk. The little house is there. You might like to just walk around the property and uh, then come back in about five minutes and we'll have our time of fellowship lunch. But may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May his spirit enfold you. And may he lead you in his holy service this week, this year, and in all the years to come. Amen? Amen. Amen.